0: So, uh, I was busy singing and worshiping, and I forgot (laughs) that I was supposed to come stand up here. So, just deal with it, okay? (sighs) Come on, people. Our key scripture this morning comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. So, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn over there. If not, um, I'll be reading it for you here today. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Do not let your hearts be troubled. To his followers in an effort to encourage them and to give them something to look forward to. To help them understand what was coming for them. And I wonder sometimes what Jesus must have thought when he walked around this earth and saw all of the frustration of humanity. Saw the conditions that people lived in. Saw the illnesses. Saw the sickness. Saw the failure. And I wonder if he looked at all this and just thought to himself... I cannot wait until you get to my father's house. There's a shocking truth that we find in this passage, and it is this, that God wants us to live with him. And do you know how long he wants us to live with him? Forever. I have to be completely straight with you. No one wants me to live with them forever. There is no one that likes me that much. And maybe you remember what it was like the first time you lived with a roommate, or if you had siblings when you were growing up, or when you got married, and you started living with someone. Living with someone new is hard. There's a certain, uh, learning curve that has to take place. And when I was in college for two years, I shared an apartment with, uh, three other guys. And, um, one of my roommates was pretty particular about how everything should be. Uh, and I'm not talking about myself. I am talking about someone else. Um, and another was not. So when my messy roommate would leave a mess, as he was wont to do, my clean roommate would get really upset and angry about it. Uh, and for example, if there was food left like that it spilled over the bowl in the microwave or something, uh, my clean roommate would leave a message on the microwave from the microwave. Hello, I'm the microwave. I want to be clean and not dirty, and when you leave food inside of me, it hurts my feelings and makes me think you don't care about me. (laughs) Plus, other people want to use me, so please clean up after yourself, you dirty slob. (laughs) And there was reason to complain. There was time that tuna was left on a dirty plate in the sink for a couple of days. And those two only had to live with one another for one semester, which was probably a good thing for the safety of everyone. And it was an amicable parting, but neither one would sign up to live with each other again. And it's hard to live with someone that literally does not live on a day-to-day basis in the same way that you do. And I'm not talking about choices and decisions and quality. I'm just talking about how they actually live. And if we had our choices, we would probably most often choose to live with someone who has a compatible style to us. But here's the thing. I'm about as incompatible with God as it gets. He's clean, like really, really clean. He's perfect and holy and set apart and above all things. And I am imperfect, dirty, common, and about as annoying as it gets. I don't leave a little bit of tuna in the sink. I leave the whole stinking fish. I play my music too loud, I am up too late, I don't pick up after myself. When it comes to God, as a person, I'm about as incompatible as it gets. And no one likes me enough to live with me forever. But God doesn't just like me, he loves me. And he loves me as I am. And he has a room in his home prepared for me by Jesus, even though I don't deserve to be there. And my name is on the door. And he offers me the invitation to join him there. I get to have eternal life with him because God loves me and Jesus gave himself up for me. And as much as Jesus can't wait for me to get there, I can't wait either.
1: We're going to learn a new song today. And I'm going to sing the first part, and then I want you to join me in singing this. And then when we get later, get down further into the song, the girls are going to sing your part while I sing a different part. Is that all confusing?
2: <laughs>
1: all right, here's your part. See, do I have this thing on, right? Here, let me see.
2: Um, whoops.
1: It's still new.
2: To him who loves us. And has freed us From our sins by His blood And He has made us To be a kingdom Kingdom of priests
1: To His God and Father Now you sing that with me To To Him who loves us
2: And has freed us From our sins By His blood And He has made us To be a kingdom Kingdom of priests To His God and Father To Him be glory To Him be power, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. To Him be glory, to Him be power, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever.
1: This is taken from Revelation 1, verses 5 through 8, which was Bryce's opening ser- um, scripture that he used for this Revelation series. Look, he is
2: coming with the clouds, and every eye will see his face those who pierced his name and all the peoples of the earth shall mourn because of him. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see his face and even those who pierced his name, and all the peoples of the earth shall mourn because of him.
0: Um, I, th- I think all of our kids have vacated the premises, <laughs> but if you're hiding one somewhere, it's time for children's church. <clears throat> I appreciate uh, Kathy this morning uh, reminding us that um, in the in the Book of Revelation, as as we've been reading through the story, what we saw last week was uh, the throne room of God, and and. And these heavenly creatures, these powerful beings, falling down before God and worshiping Him, and 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 telling God that He is holy and He is set apart and He is worthy, He's worthy of our worship. And I, as Kathy expressed, I I hope that this week you thought about that often, because uh, you know, so often when we think about God during the week, we think about, well, God, I need this, or God, would you help me with that, or those kinds of things. And rarely are we just overwhelmed with a moment of recognition of just who God is. So I I hope that you continue to consider that uh, throughout your week and when you're just doing things, just pausing for a moment and just recognizing God for who he is. Uh, I've had uh, the opportunity to share moments with people that, that most don't get to share. Um, As a minister, I am invited into people's lives at all kinds of different moments. And I know that uh, this may be a little bit hard to believe, but I have been working in this field um, since I was 19. So for 23 years, this is what I've been doing. And um, during that time, I've had... Uh, the opportunity or the privilege to uh, walk with people in all kinds of different seasons. And for those of you who know me well, you know that, uh, you know, these kind of compact social situations, they scare me a little bit. Uh, But I still, I've gone and I've always been uh, been blessed or encouraged or challenged by what I've been able to experience. And so, for example, uh, I get to I mean, I've gotten to marry people and help them start their lives together. And I love doing that. It's so it's so fun. I, I'm invited into the lives of other, others when they are celebrating events. I am called into homes uh, when things are not going so well. And I've helped people work through some of their darkest personal struggles and, and seen them overcome through the power of God. And I've also tried to help people in their darkest time with their greatest troubles and seen them not succeed. I've been called to the hospital when just someone needs someone to sit with them. And uh, they need prayer or encouragement or a friendly face. And I know that's hard to believe that I would be a friendly face, but sometimes people uh, will accept that. And I've also been called to the hospital to help families say goodbye to someone that they love. And I've stood in front of crowds and beside graves to both celebrate and lament the loss of a loved one no longer here. All of these moments and more, I am invited into people's lives to participate in those things with them. And there's great joy in that, and there are moments of just, um, great triumph and unbelievable blessing. And I think about the times, uh, just over the past few months with Johnny being sick and when the elders gathered around to pray, when a big group came to pray and to, to just bless that family. These are moments that we get to share together and that I get to share with you. And, and sometimes those things become just amazing in retrospect. And at other times, there's great sorrow and trouble and struggle, and and I have some friends here. This is gonna, this is a weird statement. Just play along. For the first time in our lives, uh, as a married couple, Nisha and I have friends here in Santa Rosa that are not churchgoers, which I know, like, you know, when your life is is doing everything with church people, sometimes it's hard to make friends. And even in Antioch, when we were there before, our friends from school, they all went to church somewhere. So everyone was a Christian. And um, so we have some friends here that are not Christians. And we'll talk about my job sometime. And uh, they'll just, you know, they'll, you know, how, how did things go today? How did it go this week? And I'll tell them some of the things uh, that I've maybe experienced or that I've gone through. And uh, they often shake their heads in disbelief because of the kinds of places and situations I have found myself in over these many years, from people here at this church and from people that I know in the Christian community that call on me for different kinds of things. And don't worry, I haven't told them about you. You know who you are. But it's it's funny because we'll talk about my job, and I've never really had this happen before, because, you know, as a... Being mainly around church friends, when you joke with church friends about my job, like you know I work an hour a week, um, and I only have to be nice for two hours right like <laughs> But when I say that to my non church friends, they immediately jump on me every time, and they 're like, "No man, like what you do is super hard like well i don 't know about that, but it's it is what I do and I want to tell you about a particular moment, uh, that's very personal for me. Um, when I was in Antioch and when I started there, there were three of us on staff and there was Kyle who was a youth minister. There was Rick who was the associate minister and Kyle was a very young 29. Uh, Rick was almost 60 and I was however old I was at the time, mid thirties, I guess. And, um, we had a great chemistry and things were going well and really building and one Saturday morning I got a phone call uh, from one of the church members there, uh, Marlene, which was a little unusual. It was like 8.30 in the morning on a Saturday and, and she called my phone and she said, uh, Rick is in the hospital and he had an, ac- he had an accident while, they were, while, while he and my husband were out running and you need to go to the hospital to see him. And I'm like, oh, well, what's, what's wrong? And she said, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, just, you, you just need to go over there and, and and just check in with them and, and you just, you just need to be there. And it was a little bit evasive and I didn't really know kind of what to do with this information. So I was like, sure. So, you know, Nisha says, what's going on? I'm like, well, I, Rick's in the hospital, you know, I, he was running. So immediately I think, what, like he twisted his ankle, he blew out his knee, whatever it was, he ran all the time you know, and, and was this super, like, healthy guy, you know, only ate, like, nuts and berries during the day. You know, he's one of those guys. Um, uh, so I, I get dressed, and I, and I drive to the hospital and go to the emergency room. And, you know, I'm kind of like, do-do-do, and I go in there. And uh, I walk up to the desk, and I say to the attendant, I'm here to see Rick Johnson. And the attendant says, okay, you know, typey, 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 and looks at the screen, looks at me. And he's like, and who are you again? I said, I'm Bryce. Um, I'm surprised you don't know me. I'm kind of important. And um, uh, I work with Rick. I'm the minister at their church. and, And I was called to come down and to come see them. And so typey, 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 get on the phone. So like, just wait here for a 2nd like, all right, give me the name tag. And, and the, the door behind him opens, and there's this nurse standing there, and she waves him back. So I follow her. And in this particular emergency room, it wasn't, like, sectioned off uh, rooms. There were just, you know, all these sort of curtain-divided places. And so we're walking, and I'm waiting for her to turn into one of those curtained areas, and she never does. And we walk through the curtained area to the end, and then we turn left, and we go down this short hallway, And there's a couple of doors over here, and there's like a couple of doors here, and she just kind of motions to this door. So I go to the door, and I open it up, and I step into the room, and I look, I look in there. And Rick was dead on the table. And Virginia, his wife, which they had been together since they were teenagers, was sitting there in a chair leaned on the table um, just in in a moment of unbearable loss. And I just stood there because my brain could not process what it was I was seeing. And no one had told me anything. No one had told me anything. I didn't know. So I closed the door, and I sat down next to Virginia, and I put my arms around her, and we just sat there. And Rick had collapsed while running that morning, and it turns out he had some kind of heart condition that had never been recognized And uh, he died on the trail. Randy tried to do CPR for the guy who was running with him. And they were back in the hills and they got him out of there. But he wasn't far from his 60th birthday. And I can't begin to describe to you how that moment felt for me. And for months afterwards, I had the same dream at least four nights a week. And in that dream, I would walk past all the curtain things, I would turn left and go down the hallway. I would open the door. I'd step into the room. I'd see it all. And my brain would process it. And then I'd go back. And I'd walk down the curtain hall, take a left, open the door, walk in, walk down the hall. I relived that moment in my head over and over and over and over and over again. The next morning, I had to get up in front of the church as we came together for worship. And Kyle and I, I remember Saturday um, when I came out, you know, there were so many things I had to do. I came out and one of the elders was showing up and I stopped him. And I'm like, you need to know, you need to know this. And so he went in and I left and I had to call um the church and Kyle and I got together and we sat. We sat in my office across from each other and we just sat there, trying to figure out what to, what do, what do I say? What do I even say? And we worked our way through it. Um, this morning, as we look at the Book of Revelation. We're coming to the end of the story. And the story that we're coming to the end to is God's story. And as I have reflected on all that I have seen and experienced in my life and all the situations and places that I've been called into and have the opportunity to go to, there's one thing that I want you to hear this morning. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. The ending that God has written makes all of the difference in every situation I've described to you. The ending that God has written makes all the difference in every situation that I've described to you. And there are some simple yet profound things that I want us to think about this morning as we go through the last part of this book. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to pull them out. The verses will be on the screen behind me. But here's the first thing that we need to recognize. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about how um, Satan, the dragon, was was cast down. How we called up uh, the beasts, and how people were worshiping these, and, and and it's this really kind of scary image of how Satan almost takes over the world, and how he almost you know how how he's enslaving all of humanity, and it's not a real. It's not a real uplifting picture, the one that's painted there in Revelation. But here's the thing. When all seems lost, Jesus, Jesus steps forward, not just to die as we saw him as the risen lamb in the first part, but to fight on our behalf and on behalf of God's story. So from Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army, but the beast was captured And with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Okay, we have seen Jesus in a couple of different ways during the book of Revelation. Uh, We saw him first as a messenger sent to John from God. And if you remember that particular image, he was like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was like white wool as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And so you get the idea from this first image of Jesus of this powerful messenger, this one who holds things in his hand and has power and authority. But when we see Jesus next in chapter 5, he looks different even there. In that chapter, he was seen as the lamb who was slain, the only one worthy to open the scroll, the story of what God wanted to do and to usher that story in. He was a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders with seven horns and seven eyes. But this Jesus is entirely different. This Jesus is entirely different. He is magnificent and terrifying. But here is what I want you to see. The plan of Satan to control and dominate humanity, to steal us from God, to turn us away from him, cannot stand against this. Satan cannot stand against this. And we have this image that I want you to get into your head. There's two armies. And Jesus is at the head of the heavenly army. And the beasts are at the head of Satan's forces. And there is supposedly a fight. But what do we hear about the fight? Nothing. Do you know why? Because there was not really a fight. Because no one and nothing can stand Before this Jesus. And no one can oppose him and go against God. Jesus is victorious. And the tools that Satan had been using to subject humanity are thrown into the fiery pit and destroyed. Burning forever. That's a powerful image that I want you to hold on to for a second. Because it wasn't just the beasts and the kings of the earth that were thrown down. There's something we need to hear in this in this passage that that is hard for us to grasp. But the what is the attitude that you hear? I mean, look at some of the words that were said back in that passage where they invite in Revelation 19, they invite the animals to come and to and to feast on the flesh of these different things. Like, there is anger. There is righteous anger as Jesus comes out to lead this army and to throw them down. He is making things right and he is doing it in a really satisfying way for him and God. Because it's time for justice to show up. But it wasn't just, again, the beasts and the kings of the earth. Satan himself is defeated. Now, we mentioned this a few weeks ago. Satan has been defeated. But Satan doesn't know he's been defeated. He doesn't know. And, and wrap your mind around this for a second. He gathered an army to come fight. To come fight. So, what does he think? I can win. I mean, look what I'm doing on the earth. Look at all the people I'm turning. Look at how much power and influence and control I have. Look at how I am deceiving all these people. And he comes with his army. But listen to this from chapter 20, starting in verse 7. When a thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle and number like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So there's another, there's this image again of Satan bringing his forces forward. And this time, in this image, Satan is coming to surround the people of God. The city that God loves. And they get there. They've crossed the earth with these countless soldiers. And they get there, this huge army, to surround the city. And what happens? There is no fight. Instead, Fire from heaven comes down and what happens to Satan's forces? They're gone. They're just gone and Satan himself is thrown into the pit. He musters for battle, but there is no battle because, church, there is nothing that can stand against this Jesus and against our God. Nothing. And it doesn't matter how powerful the enemy thinks he is. It doesn't matter what the enemy believes that he's accomplished. It doesn't matter that he's brought this army to take down once and for all the people of God. There is no real fight because all of the enemies fall down before him. And we who have been caught in the middle of this great struggle for affections between God and Satan, we who are so easily deceived and believe the lies of Satan, who are slaves to sin, the ones who make the wrong decision all the time, we have freedom because Jesus has overcome our enemies. There is nothing that can stand against him. From Romans chapter 6, verses 22 through 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we have those words and we have this image. From the book of Revelation, that Jesus has overcome the enemy. He has overcome our sin and our failure. And because of this, when it comes time to fight, there is no fight. When it comes time for the enemy to be defeated, the enemy is defeated. So much so that, that Paul reflects in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Because God's ending, the story that He is writing, will come to be. Because Jesus marches out onto the field of battle. And he defeats the one who would try to enslave us. Amen? There is only... Listen, that is a sure thing. There is nothing more assured than that. That Jesus overcomes and has already defeated our enemy. But there is one thing that can affect this outcome. The outcome that God desires for you and for me. And here's the one thing. It's us. All this time we've been pulled left and right and left and right. And all these things have been vying for our attention and pulling at us. But you know what? In the end, who does it come down to in terms of what story is told? It comes down to us. Do we participate in the story that God is telling, or do we insist on writing our own ending? Now, when we look at it in these terms, it's like, well, we participate with God, right? We want to. But more often than not, we have seen throughout the story that the ending we want to write is our own to control the narrative. But we get to choose. At the very beginning of the story, when God created the heavens and the earth and the animals and all these things and He created us, God made the choice to give us free will. To allow us to decide for ourselves whether we will be His or not. And God does everything possible To invite humanity to participate in his story. His story. Where humanity lives with God. Where God blesses them and gives them everything they need. Where all of their enemies are defeated. He invites us to come and to participate. And God from the time that we fell and made the choice to disobey Him, is doing an amazing thing in redeeming His creation. He wants to bless, love, and give us victory even though we have rejected Him. Do you understand? The only reason we talk about victory is because we made that necessary in the first place. God already was and was already blessing us. And then, when we walked away, God overcomes for us and offers us this chance, but he won't make us choose him. He won't make us choose him. We, somehow, in this entire story, have control over the ending. As much as we might want to say we don't, as much as we might say we're here or there, we get to choose. From chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, there's a few things that I want us to remember here as we look at this. It's clear that there are multiple things happening, right? So everyone is going to be judged by God. And they are going to be judged based on how they live their lives. And there's other ideas that are maybe coming to your mind. Uh, the, The sheep and the goats, which we've talked about several times. But what we need to remember when we read this passage is that this passage was written to churches. This book was written to churches. So it wasn't written to people who have no relationship with Jesus. It wasn't written to threaten those who don't believe. Instead, these early Christians were struggling against persecution and hard times. Some of them were even being challenged to give up their own lives for the sake of God. And, and they were in these If you remember the letters to the churches, they were in these situations where they were fighting with one another over what it even meant to follow Jesus. They had these voices coming in from outside that were telling them, no, this is what it means and this is what it means. And they were fighting ideas and all this different stuff. And they very much needed to hear some things from the end of the story. They needed to hear some things from the end of the story. And here is what they heard. Hold on. The choices that you make to follow Jesus are going to put your name in the book of life. This is a message that we hear throughout the New Testament. It's not new to Revelation. Uh, From Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now here's the thing. When I've taught on this before or when I've heard other people teach on this, there's always one part of this that we tend to emphasize. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. See, you should come to church. But let's get to what's happening that would actually make the writer write this. He's writing this to people who are struggling with persecution, who are struggling to figure things out. Life is hard. Life is hard for these people. Being a Christian is hard for them. Not because they can't just can't figure it out, but because making a choice for Jesus puts them in a difficult place where, again, they might even be called to lose their lives. The entire next chapter, chapter 11, the writer runs through all of these biblical characters, and there's a message that he gives. Not everyone received the promise while they were alive, but God is proud of them for staying with it. For staying with it. And then chapter 12 starts out with this great admonition to them. Run the race with perseverance. Because Jesus ran it before you. And when you think that things are hard, just remember, Jesus faced the same thing. This is the Bryce paraphrased version of Hebrews twelve one through 3. The encouragement was so necessary to this community... Because they needed to know one thing. They needed to know that the story they chose to participate in mattered. Because they were surrounded by people who told them it didn't. And then wanted to take them out (laughs) because of the choices they had made. And after Paul wrote those encouraging words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we've already read, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? He closes it out in verse 58 by saying this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of God because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your choices matter. And your choice to follow God puts your name where? In the book of life. Your choice to belong to Jesus puts your name in the book of life. You are choosing to participate in God's story. And by choosing to participate in God's story, you are written into the ending. Your name is written into the ending. It's there. And those who don't choose God, they don't get to participate in his ending. And something I want you to notice from the passage from Revelation that we just read, from chapter 20, those people are thrown into the pit, but there are other things that are thrown into the pit too. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there are two other things that are mentioned. Hades and death are destroyed in this moment of settling everything. So, finally, here is what the story has actually been about all along. We've talked about, well, it's God's story, and it's the story of God pursuing his people, and we've talked about all those things, but perhaps in this last moment, in this last image, things hopefully finally clarify for us. This story all along has been a story of restoration and above all, reunion. God and his people coming back together and being, being together. From chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Church, what did God want from the very beginning? To be our God, and for us to be his children. And sure, we messed things up a lot along the way. But God takes control of the story. And he writes his own ending to this story that went off the rails. He is our God and we are his people. And the dwelling place of God is where? With us. There is no longer any separation. And when we live with him in the place he has prepared for us, there is no more pain or suffering, no more death. All the failure that has defined the mortal life does not exist anymore because the mortal life is gone. And so all of it is gone. All of it's gone. Every, All the mess that comes with this life is gone. And things are set Right? Everything is made new. Like, legit new. (laughs) It is made new. And we get to live with our God forever. We get to live with our God forever. Knowing this ending changes everything about how we look at this life. It does. It changes everything about how we look at this life. We are not defined by our failures. We are defined through victory in Jesus Christ. And though there is suffering and pain that we go through in this place, it is not the story that is being written for us. The story that is being written for us is one of victory and overcoming the very things that would hold us down in this place. That is the story we can choose to participate in. And the ending, this ending gives purpose and meaning to all that we do. It drives us to help others to see how much God loves them and cares for them, to see that they could participate in this too, that they can choose this ending. They can have their names in the book of life, and it motivates us to have some urgency for those who do not know Jesus, because Jesus is in fact coming, and this end is going to happen. And we want people's names to be in the book of life. We want them to know God. And this promised ending, it makes us who we are now. Because when we experience pain and hurt and failure and frustration and anger and all of these things, we can look to the end and say, you know what, all of this is going to end too. All of this will be over. And I am going to get to live with God. Randy Alcorn wrote this in his book called Heaven. He says, Life on earth matters not because it's the only life we have, but precisely because it isn't. It's the beginning of a life that will continue without end. It's the precursor of life on the new earth. Eternal life doesn't begin when we die. It has already begun. Life is not, as Macbeth supposed, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Informed by the doctrines of creation, redemption, resurrection, the new earth, our present lives take on greater importance, infusing us with purpose. Understanding heaven doesn't tell us what to do, but why? Why? What God tells us about our future lives enables us to interpret our past and serve him in our present. And what he said it in a very eloquent way, which I'm going to dumb down for myself, is that our future makes what we deal with now. It, it changes it. It changes it. Because Jesus is already one. Jesus is already one. And we will one day be with God. And so, I guess it was probably about 10 days after Rick passed away, I stood in front of 300 plus people that had come from all over the place and I had a story to tell him. And we had suffered loss and life seemed so fragile in those moments. But, that wasn't the end of Rick's story. For it was never actually Rick's story all along. He lived God's story. And in the end, when we live God's story, there is great hope and peace. For we know that he is God. That Jesus has overcome. Worthy is a lamb who is slain. And we know that God has a perfect place prepared for us with our names on the door, our names in the book, and that one day we are going to go home where we belong. And all of this will go away. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this message of hope this morning because that's what it is. It's a story that promises us you control the ending to the big story. And God, you invite us to participate with you, to have that ending that you have written be our ending. But it's not really the ending we know, God, it's just the beginning. It's the start of real life with you. For this place and this life and these things, they will be gone. And we will get to have eternity with you. God, that gives us hope. That gives us peace. It allows us to persevere in the face of so many things. God, may we cling to this message. That you have written the rest of the story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any need for prayers or encouragement this morning? Uh, if you want to know how God loves you and, and have any sort of uh, relationship with him that you don't have right now, we invite you to come forward as we stand singing this song together.
1: We decided to change the last song because it just seems more appropriate to sing about victory in Jesus. I heard it all.
2: Story, how a savior came.